Hello, you're listening to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Matt Gunn. I'm here with Jenny Reese and Stan Presbolinski from SimData. Welcome to the show, Stan. Thanks for having me. All right. So we were chatting a little bit before we hit record on the show. Um, you focus on the PLM space. Yes. SimData has been around since 1983, and uh, we were there before it was called PLM. But we've always focused in and around product development and manufacturing. All right. So when you talk about your kind of core audience for this, you're looking at discrete manufacturers, not process. Uh, for the most part. I mean, we do process work. It's actually becoming a lot more interesting because there are a number of companies and med devices, for instance, whose products combine discrete components and formula components, right? So if you have a particular probe, it might need a particular coating. Or we did some work in recent years with Green Mountain Coffee. Right? So a coffee maker has the discrete electronics and software components, but it also has the formulation that goes into the K-cup. So there's some interaction with those, and some of the leading providers in the space are trying to figure out, well, how do we help developers of that combined product work? So in that sense, you're getting these kind of convergences between areas that might not have met 20, 30 years ago. Correct, correct. Is there a lot of crossover that you see across different industries? Are there similarities that within this space tend to pop up, say, if you're working in the fashion space or discrete space? How, how is PLM in general transformed in this area? Well, I mean, my grandmother's explanation of what some of PLM is about is we're humans. We work together. We like to create things. Those things are created and evolved. Everybody has a role to play. And very often we have processes that we want to implement. So that idea is at the core of all of PLM, no matter what it is. So that notion that the ability to easily collaborate across time and space is a constant. So whether you're developing a new aircraft or you're trying to get this quarter's fashion line out, you still have that. What's the biggest challenge you see in trying to merge those two separate facets of PLM? Like for the user side, I want to know, and for the provider side. Well, on the user side, those people sit in different silos, right? So if you're talking about formulation, for instance, which we were talking about before we came on, uh, a lot of those people sit in laboratories. They have different types of equipment that they use to support their innovation process. What they innovate on is different, right? It's, it's generally a formula. Many of them are used to doing it in spreadsheets. So I know working with another provider in the space, their initial attempt at an enterprise solution was give me something that looks and works like Excel because that's what people were used to. So you have to, so getting user paradigms different to get them think about it different is a challenge. Yeah, so adoption is pretty slow. A adoption can be slow, but people like Infor, I know, Infor is tying a lot of their formulation stuff to the back-end ERP system, which has all the information about the ingredients. So those types of things can help people maybe move forward because then it's like, well, I need to have this particular red dye. Well, I don't have that, but I have this other one. Can it work? Right. Right. So you're able to modify your formulas and maybe come up with reasonable substitutes based on the availability of components. So touching on that user interface perspective, what's the biggest barrier? Is it just that they're comfortable with Excel? It's what they grew up on and it's what they know? Or is there some inherent distrust of software that doesn't look familiar, um, that doesn't no, look I mean, we, we heard presentations this morning here at Inforum about how the next generation, right, the millenniums are their old hat now, right? We have another, the iGen, right, that wants things. But the iGen isn't hitting those labs yet, right? So, yes, you need to have that. 
you need to be looking forward to that. But no, the biggest problem with these technologies is people don't want the necessity of collaboration and information management to get into the way of their work. Right, that's why they like Excel, because it sits on their desktop, they can do whatever they want with it, and nobody bothers them. And no one else can touch it. And no one else can touch it, and no one, has sa- yeah, no one has the same version. Right. Right. So you need, to, you need to somehow balance that. Do you think some of that comes back to uh, job security? I know some people are fearful of technology, and especially cloud technology, because they think once all these people can sort of get in my business and change and edit, and maybe they'll become irrelevant. That's always the case. I, you know, I've been in technology for my whole career, and that's always been the case where people are worried about being obsoleted in their jobs. And I think that's part of it, but I, I think it's more people get set on their ways. And in a lot of cases, people end up doing things in their user interface that were created by exceptions in their work environment. Right? We had this one big catastrophe that we're going to make sure we never do again. So we put steps in place to prevent that in the user interface. It gets in the way of the guy's work. Very often, those things, you know, yes, it was a problem once, but then it may never be a problem again, but you've impeded everyone's work environment forever because you never revisit that. Yeah, I agree. When you were speaking earlier about so-and-so has a certain red dye, and then, you know, I think a lot of that goes back to, again, machine learning. We talk about it all the time that by giving every, I mean, in retail and fashion, we talk a lot about attributes. So I'm sure that that also applies across a PLM supply chain for dyes and things like that. So I guess that's how that works is it picks a like item to say this dye is like this dye. Is that all AI or? It can be. That's the way a number of the leading enterprise providers are evolving their solutions is to put that smarts inside the application so people don't need to go outside. It gives them suggestions in context for the thing that they're trying to do. Right. So one thing that a uh, theme that we're hearing a lot about is the whole human potential side of it, how this technology may augment and make you more capable of accomplishing more. It seems like in this space, very distinctly, when you are holding yourself back and have a very protected view of your processes and the way that you collaborate with others, that can become a barrier to innovation or to improving your products by bringing other perspectives in. Will the technology help foster more innovation in this way? It can. I mean, that we always talk about three things. We talk about people, process, and technology. And the biggest inhibitor to change is the people. Because as we've seen with the technologies that have available, they're, they're pretty facile. You know, you can make them do many things that you want them to do. Now, sometimes you make them do things that they shouldn't, but you can make them do just about anything else if you have the right amount of resources. Whereas the people, they're almost always the barrier. So you really need to deal with that ahead of time. And that's what, as we saw this morning in some of the presentations, talking about human-centered development. Right? Let's avoid those, the barriers that we can think of and work that into the software in some way. So I think that that's been a big change because historically, and you know, a lot of my career I spent around software development, you had a set of requirements and you built up those requirements. Well, the requirements might not have been as user-centered as you might want. They might have come from a group of third parties that think they know best. So that's been really the biggest innovation in maybe the last 10, 15 years is the move to agile development and human-centered development to have more of a design focus, to make the things better for the user experience up front. So in a sense, even the way the technology is working, it's less rigid and it's less rules-based. Yes. It's, yes. And it, 
can adapt. Which yeah. makes it easier to control that people aspect. If the apps are consumer grade, they feel familiar, then people are more likely to use them and less likely to push them away. Yes, that's true. I mean, I, I was thinking in the presentations this morning, though, because consumer grade, one of the, the examples that was used, oh, well, you can get a contact at the company. Have you ever tried to call Amazon? Hopefully, you guys will have a better customer experience than some of the consumer grade applications out there. Right. Because most of them try to avoid having you talk to humans. But they need to have some place to go that's not just a chat bot or a fact right. or something like that because it's very easy to get frustrated with those types of interactions. So absolutely. You need absolutely. to balance it. When we're talking about human potential, I think that, like I said, people can see technology as sort of putting them out. But there's never, in my opinion, going to be a time when there's not an equal amount of art needed to control these kind of customer interactions as there is science. So the technology and probably the process, those two and three items are controlled by the science. But number one is the people, and that's always going to be an art. So I think the, the companies who can balance those out and make sure that you can get in touch with a human being, that's human potential if you need to. I'm thinking of the IRS specifically. Don't try to call them. <laughs> I don't think anybody gives thinks they're, you know, the epitome of customer service. But So kind of looking forward, we took a look at how it's evolved a little bit. What are you excited about that's starting to emerge as we evolve beyond very many point systems? or Well, cloud, of course, it's an actual step, right? Because many people say, yes, we're going to the cloud, but they just take their on-premise stuff and host it somewhere. Yes, that's a good first step. It does alleviate some of the pains for people but you're not really going to get to anything that's next gen or innovative unless you actually rethink. So that the mobile first is interesting because since we focused on the PLM space, one of the differences of the discrete PLM space versus say retail footwear and apparel is that there's a lot of heavyweight authoring that goes on, right? Retail footwear and apparel, it's a specification. Yes, you might have some pictures or things, but it's fairly light. The complexity in retail footwear and apparel is not necessarily in the product that's in the supply chain and the fulfillment aspects, right? Whereas on the discrete side, yeah, you're doing three-dimensional computer-aided design and you're doing advanced physics simulation. So I have a hard time seeing the, the use cases on the mobile side for that. But lots of other things can have mobile support, particularly downstream, right? So we're looking at asset management and things like that. There's a lot of great use cases out there already and still a lot of work to do. Great. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Any uh, kind of just closing thoughts on the industry in general and, and what excites you with the space? Like I said, I, I'm looking forward to more on the cloud, more in mobile. I unfortunately, early in my career was a, a subject of one of the waves of AI where I went to do something that was an AI when it was popular and then it went back down. So that's the other thing I'm looking forward to because a lot of people say AI is not really an automated thing, it's really augmented, right? It's working with us. So hopefully we won't get to Skynet. We'll, we'll get to technology working with us. And that's human potential. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. This has been an episode of Supply Chain Radio for Matt Gunn and Jenny Reese. Stan, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. This has been Supply Chain Radio.